right. Welcome, everybody. It is episode 43 of Hot Take from the Kitchen, and it is February 4th. 4th, yes. Quattro. It's a very warm day today compared to last week when we had a snowstorm. And we um, mobile in. Yeah. I guess we tried something we've never tried before. I wasn't a fan of it, but... But it was the right call for our safety, yeah, that's for certain. Yes. It was a hot mess last week. All the snow we got is now melting, so it can freeze again too. Yes. Which will be really fun. All right. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Hot Take from the Kitchen. And our email address is hottakefromthekitchen at gmail.com. It is H-O-T-T-A-K-E-F-R-O-M-T-H-E-K-I-T-C-H-E-N at gmail.com. There's no new emails this week. So I guess our guest today is Tim Kuhnlein. He's a professor at ACC. So welcome, Tim. Thank, Thank you for coming. And I guess we'll get into our hot takes. And our first hot take is we want to fix the halftime show at the Super Bowl. Well, did you watch the Super Bowl, Tim? No, I'm afraid I didn't. Okay. Um, <laughs> I read about it today. Yeah. Not a lot of people would have liked it, um, but I thought it was interesting nonetheless. So I didn't think it was bad as people made it to be. It could have been worse. <clears throat> yeah, but that's never what you want to say of something like this. No. You never want to say it could be worse. Yeah. So. Uh, I don't know. What I read is it was just boring. Like, there was nothing exciting about it. But what I find interesting about that is what do we have to do to actually make something, make a statement in this world with <laughs> things that are so sensationalized? That was part of it. And that's kind of what Brad and I were talking about a little bit last night is to think about what you would want to do. And it seems like almost people are scared to do it now because of the scrutiny they're under. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So there were no wardrobe malfunctions. No, nothing like that. <laughs> Adam Levine decided to take a shirt off. Yeah, but put some people in a tizzy. Oh, nope. I, I would think most of the females standard. didn't mind it. I mean, no, but they're saying that it was a double standard. Was why can he take a shirt off, but Janet Jackson has something ripped off her on purpose by Justin Timberlake, and she's banned for the blacklisted. Well, that's probably because the Super Bowl got fined for it, primarily. I know, but it's just unfair to Janet Jackson that she had it ripped off on. It wasn't her plan to have it ripped off. <laughs> First world problems. Yeah. It is. It is. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So what's your solution to fix it? I thought they should bring in somebody that's actually relevant to the time, but... I've also heard people say that you should bring in somebody really old that everybody knows and respects, like Bruce Springsteen. Or, but I don't think that'll go over well either, so I guess it's not going to please everybody. Well, <clears throat> we talked about – so last, name, last night the name we came up with. It was Ariana Grande. And I think what you could do is you could have somebody current cover some older songs with an older person. So, for example, you could have – Ariana Grande perform, and you could have, um, I don't know, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head, but, you know, and then what I think you could do is, you know, for lack of a better term, let's just say Patti LaBelle, 
you know yeah. what I mean? Since she was, but you could do something like along that lines. That way, you're touching an older demographic, you're touching a newer demographic. So that is part of what I thought of. I thought they could bring in somebody from the host city too. That was another thing. I would. I think that'd be better than just having some random band or person just come in and then have people yell, why aren't you doing some, having somebody from that city perform at halftime. That's why they had Travis Scott and Big Boy on for 30 seconds each or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. So what you're saying is you want it longer because they did do it. You just want more of it. Yes. Yes. I think you could do that. The problem, of course, is, is that not all cities have that. So, but you could definitely take advantage of it in certain, certain situations. Oh, yeah. Or get somebody that's close to the area. You know? Yeah. They definitely missed the boat with Atlanta last night. Atlanta has many artists from the area that they could have tapped into and done a lot of cool things with it. Brought in Usher. I mean, Usher would have been all right. Though you feel that kind of goes against what you want, though? You wanted someone current, and is Usher a little? Well, yes, pretty respected by many people. Yeah. But whatever. You know, it's not going to be fixed. It is what it is. <laughs> all right. Our second hot take is... There was two male cheerleaders for the Rams last night that made their Super Bowl appearance. So the first time there was male cheerleaders at the Super Bowl, it was two professional male dancers from LA. But that was kind of cool. I had no problem with it. No. I don't think it's... I didn't even know they were there until this morning when popped up on Bing, so... I think, I don't know, stuff like that. I think, again, no one really noticed until they would have made something of it. And I don't even think they had to do that necessarily. But I, I like the fact that it happened. So That was the other thing I read about um, is that people were kind of disappointed that there wasn't any real like political statement coming out of the whole, the whole show. Um, you know, put aside the sports. That was apparently lackluster, but um, I think the commentary I saw is just there was just nothing that made a statement in these times where everybody's making a statement about something. I don't know. When I read that, I thought that sounded kind of refreshing, actually, to just have something vanilla. Be, <laughs> yeah. Be pretty normal instead of all sensationalized and over the top. And there have been Super Bowl, you know, games where players have made statements and then there's been acts where they've made statements. So yeah, I thought it was kind of a boring Super Bowl. It's kind of very bland. You're right. All right. I guess we'll move on to topic number three and that's Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. They won their sixth Super Bowl together. Is their 11th appearance? 11th appearance in the Super Bowl? Something like that. But yeah. So now it's, are they the greatest coach and quarterback of all time? Yes. Yeah. Unequivocally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It is. It's ridiculous. <clears throat> I think it's more of a question is, will Tom retire once Garanka retires? Uh, I think it's time. But that's just my opinion. It wouldn't break my heart if he retired right now. No. 
what but better time to go out on top? I have a feeling he's going to kind of do the Kobe thing where he's just going to hang around a little too long. But you never know. Yeah. I guess it, I mean, why not retire? I mean, you just live off Giselle for a while. Well, I mean, he's been doing that for a while anyways. So. Still. Yeah. We talked, I mean, I know those of you who listened to the other pod I was on last week, we talked about that. How Tom's, he's, he's, he's got the best of both worlds because there's not many players that could take a pay cut like he does. And we're not, it's all relative, of course, because when I t- t- say pay cut, he's still making like $18 million a year. So it's not yeah. like he's looking hard up. But <laughs> so his, he's begging on the street. Yeah. But his wife's making twice the amount of money he's making. You know, so when your wife's at home making $30 million, you're able to take, you don't have to worry about making $30 million a yeah. year. So he's, he's a, it's unfair almost. It's, he's pretty much just playing the game for fun and whatever. Yeah. And if he's having fun, more power to him. I mean, he, I guess that is the point we can make is he's earned it to go out on his own terms, I guess. So maybe he wants to get budget. I really thought he was going to get cut in half by the Dominic Sue last night. I really was waiting for that. After Sue clothesline or tackled the running back last night and lifted him off the ground for yeah. five feet. I was waiting for Tom to get hit and just be like, yeah. I'm done. This is enough. <laughs> so. Yeah. All right. It was nice to see Bill Belichick happy, too. He sold gruff during the season, and then he's holding his grandkid on stage and smiling. It was just nice to see. It is nice to see that side of him. He's very yes, stoic. Yes. All right. Do you want to talk about Liam Neeson? You can. I don't know what you're talking I didn't have time to read I'm doing a busy boy today. Well, Liam Neeson did an interview with a newspaper or a magazine or something. And he said years ago, one of his family members was raped. And then he went around the streets of wherever he was in Ireland for a week carrying a baton or something to beat a black person because the person who performed the rape was black and he just wanted to kill some some black person, and now he regrets that time in his life. And that's what the big hubbub is about. Is Liam Neeson racist? So he feels bad, but that was an interesting thing. <laughs> well, how would you even tell that story? His publicist has to be going absolutely nuts, nuts right now. He said he just needed to get it off his chest and. He feels bad about what he was doing. He learned from it and grew. Well, yeah, I'm sure. What's even more impressive is he was able to, for lack of a better term, get away with it. In our world, it seems like you can't get away with anything anymore. And the fact that he got away with that, it's kind of crazy. Well, he didn't beat anybody up. He just walked around hoping somebody. Oh, okay. I thought he did. No. no. Oh, okay. <laughs> but there's people who were upset and then there was people who defended him and I guess I think it was a person or the editor of a newspaper magazine who was black defended him and said that he able to grow from it and this is a situation that we can all learn from and all this it's just whatever yeah all right that's all we got for that 
So we'll move on to the question from the CVB. And last week's question was Johnny Al, Johnny Ace Lau, Johnny Lau, whatever. You're Someone, struggling. I am. It's right in front of me. Alpina's oldest historical saloon is located on the Owens Black in Old Town Alpina. One of the biggest draws to the saloon, other than the great food and unique atmosphere, is what? You know the answer to this, Tim. No, I don't you know don't? the answer, but I know that um, there's a great mystery about a, a ghost or um, something. Mm -hmm. like I can't remember. That is the answer. It is haunted. Yeah, it's haunted. It is the ghost of Agnes, Agnes. John's wife, who died on June 4th. June 24, 1913. There are several speculations as to the cause of death, but the most investigated, investigated being that she died of consumption or TB. Other stories say she died in childbirth or in a boating accident near the Saginaw area. Although we cannot be sure as to the cause of death, we do know that she has made the Lao her home in the afterlife. All right, and this week's question is, what popular breakfast joint in Alpena can you request your pancakes to be made into fun shapes like bunnies and tractors? So. I have no idea. Is it the new one on the north end? I don't know. Is it the CIA, I think they call it? It is not. No. We'll find out next week. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. I mean, I have a couple educated guesses. Would you read the question one more time for me? What popular breakfast joint in Alpena? I'm going to open it back up. No, was that the beginning? That's all I needed to know. No. Okay. That's all. I didn't know if it's been around for a super long time or you just said popular breakfast joint. So that's all I needed to know. And Alpena. I feel good about my answer. Yeah. All right. But I'm, obviously, I don't share it until yeah. the next week. So, no, you're fine. Oh, that's good. good. I like that you guessed because it was wrong and. There's nothing wrong with that, too. So There's plenty of breakfast joints in Alpena, so it could be any one. But let's talk about that for a second. There isn't. That's a lie. I was just thinking of that myself. Yeah. That's something that we've talked about here. Is like if you if I could pick one thing that I could give Alpena, would be a nice breakfast brunch joint. Consistent. Yes. Because we were, And I guess the only place I – because when people come to town to visit, they always ask me, like, where do you go for breakfast? And I think the key is the variety of options. Yes. There are places, but when you have to go to the same place all the time, you think twice. Yeah. I mean, there's like Big Boy, and then I don't feel comfortable sending people to John Boy's. Not that there's anything wrong with John Boy's. I've partaken in it many if different it's times. been a night of drinking, go ahead yeah. and send them. And, you know, the B BDs or the barbecue place, the place that's inside the Ramada now, they have always had a decent breakfast. Gennars. Oh no, I mean it's also the Gennars, and then of JJ's, and of course, yeah, your restaurant, Thunder Bay restaurant, and then you still have said my favorite. favorite. That's I not guess. my favorite. You haven't said my favorite yet. Oh, I'm just naming off breakfast joints here. But they're all the same. Like I feel like most of those places, if you blindfolded yourself and you put down the plate, you really couldn't tell where you were eating, except for this one, which is the place I tell people to go to. Parker House? Oh, the Parker House is a great they place. Here. Yes. Really place. Um, North Coney Island. Oh, yeah, they do have good food there, too. They don't take credit cards. <laughs> they do now. <laughs> well, I, do they? I believe in my understanding. Well, I might have to check it out one day, though. Yeah. 
But you know what's nice is if you go see Lynch, I mean, the last time I wasn't there, well, the very first time I went in there, I was made the rookie mistake that you made. I walked in there with a credit card. She's like, well, just, we'll start you a tab. You can just pay next time you come back in. I mean, how old school is that? We'll start you a tab, Steve. <laughs> it helps that they probably knew you. Well, yeah, that's true. But I mean, still, it's just the idea of it. So, but yeah, you get the, you get the omelet with the chili sauce on it. And then they, for lunch, they have a chili dog where they have a chili deal. Like you get a coney and a burger and a fry for like six bucks. Not that I ever, I mean, Lord knows I wish I could get that right now. But anyways, so yeah, somebody build a nice breakfast brunch joint, especially for Sundays. I'm in. Maybe my neighbors could do that. There's the foodies. I know. We've Well, Don and I have talked about this. They could open a dumpling shop in there too. Oh my God. Okay. All right. Well, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll meet Tim. We'll talk with him. We have a great episode. So. All right. All right. Oh, there we go. So, Tim, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, we, I know you're as the uh, political science history instructor at Alpena Community College. Uh, so why don't you fill me in on how you got there and all the fun stuff that goes along with that. Well, I came here in 2001 um, <clears throat> at the beginning of the academic year, just before 9-11, and um, came right out of grad school at Western Michigan University. So I'm originally from Monroe, Michigan, which is on the southern border, right on the shores of uh, Lake Erie and the border with Ohio. And um, I'm sixth generation German-American, um, third generation Czech-American, and uh, probably a few other things in there somewhere. <laughs> um, but I'm the first uh, in my, the first generation of my family to go to college and the first to leave my hometown. Um, every, it's kind of a strange situation. Every one of my great grandparents going back six generations on both my mom and dad's side um, are married, they're, they're buried, they were baptized, confirmed, and married in the same church. Wow. So it was kind of a big deal um, for my, my siblings and I to leave, and, you know, my cousins as well. But, you know, it's it's also part and parcel of uh, Generation X, which I'm a part of. And, um, you know, especially as economies globalized and um, demands for opportunity to take you outside your hometown. So, but I found myself in a, a little town like Alpena that actually reminds me a lot of what it was like growing up in Monroe. Monroe's not like this anymore. It was really the last agricultural um, area outside of the metro area, south, south of the city. We're about an hour outside of Detroit. And um, I mean, it was much larger. And but you still see area. that when you drive through there. Monroe, you do. Yeah. It's changed a lot. Yeah. Um, um, and not necessarily for the better. It's, you know, it turned into a lot of strip malls in the 90s. And they kind of wasted a lot of our farmland, uh, turning it into subdivisions and strip malls. And you can feel the congestion down there that you just didn't feel when, you were, when I was younger. But it was really nice to come further north. And, um, my, you know, the job opportunity here at the college is what brought me here. I'd been here once before on a sailboat <laughs> during a summer a summer trip up the, the coast here from Monroe to Alpena, and then we turned around and went back. But, um, yeah, so um, 
that's how I, I kind of ended up here with a job opportunity. When I was in grad school, I was looking at a couple of places here in St. Clair, and this opportunity opened up, and I took it. I have no regrets. This has been a great experience. That's awesome. Um, so you teach history and then um, political science right. at the college. And um, I've had you for yeah. all of those, yeah. actually. Yeah. And um, I, one of the, some of the things I remember were um, it was an interesting, I think I told you, but I, I really have explained to my listeners a little bit. I went through ACC and I had you, and um, I thought you did, did a very good job. You and I also had Anna at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And Anna did a very good job of challenging just thought like he would, he was very, both of you were very good at just saying, you know, why do you think that? And then offering a counterpoint, but never shaming anyone for thinking that just like, Hey, have you ever thought about this? And then I went to uh, Northwood after ATC Uh and I'm sure, you know, since you've involved with the college, Northwood's very conservative. They have, or they're a business school at heart. So they have some very much some, and it was really interesting to have, um, that when we are free class that they make you take when you go to Northwood. And um, I hated that class. Well, it's very interesting for them to, in a, in a way, kind of waterboard you with these conservative principles. And what I remember about going through that class was is that the majority of the people in that class just wanted to get the A and get it over with. But I really didn't like a lot of the things that were being taught in that class. Or I just felt the need to, like, say, wait a minute, you know, it's not always this way. And I felt you and Anne really equipped me well <laughs> to argue with that guy. And I remember people would get mad at me because there would be moments where you just wanted the class to be over with. I was like, wait a minute, everyone sit down. Like, this, yeah. isn't, this isn't right, you know? And, um, yeah. Well, you know, I came from a school a lot like um, Northwood. It, it has a similar foundation. Um, Hillsdale College, really small liberal arts college, um, very much grounded in conservative principles. It was a great education, but yeah, you know, it's. I think, I think the challenge of teaching, especially what I teach, is, you know, getting getting as much out there that helps people understand the complexity of problems and the value of being aware, because so many people want to turn this stuff off. Um, but but the challenge too is just maintaining civil discourse, the ability to just listen respectfully to other people who have different opinions. And, you know, it's hard for all of us, uh, especially now, but I think at times we're a lot different when we, when we were in class together. Um, and that's what fascinates me the most is it was only, it was less than 10 years ago. Right. And it's amazing to me how civil discourse seems to deteriorate rapidly over the 10 years. But you know what I find, and this is kind of amazing to me is that, while our general politics may have seemed a little more civil not too long ago, um, I found I find that currently my students are more civil than the popular culture. And it was kind of the reverse of that <laughs> historically, where the popular culture was more civil, but students tended to be a little bit more aggressive yeah. in their their want, their will, their desire to argue, mm-hmm. um, and you know, no matter what what position you take, it half the time I'm playing devil's advocate just to get people fired up, right? And talking, but not you know, turning it into a um, 
a fist fight or something. Right. Um, so it's just kind of interesting to to observe the challenges, but then to also observe these trends. Yeah, I think being able to critically think about some of these things is almost to me what lacks in so much of the time. Like it just seems like some of the stuff is almost common sense mm -hmm. and it just, people just don't want to think about it. Like really just honestly, or, you know, to me, one of the things I always remember is it doesn't really matter. I mean, it does to a degree if you're whatever side of the fence you fall on, but in the end of the day, we're all Americans. Mm -hmm. And I always find how sometimes we just so easily lose sight of that. Yeah. And I think too, you know, it's fun to argue politics if you can argue it and get passionate, but real, still realize you're just having a conversation. You're arguing for the sake of arguing. But I think too often now it's, those arguments are not, they're, they're not in healthy spirit. And I also think that so many of them tend to be so superficial because we really don't. We have a very superficial understanding of a lot of these problems. And a lot of that is fed by the popular media that, you know, just keep repeating the same stories. There's really not a lot of depth there. Mm -hmm. And and, um, and I don't mean that to be critical of media. That's not my point. It's, it's just that it's part and parcel of expanding the discussion. And it's great that more people are involved, but we also have to understand that more people are involved and they don't necessarily understand what they're talking about. Yeah. It's still a healthy, di healthy thing to have that dialogue, but... But I think that's part of what we're experiencing now. I mean, I've seen a, an uptick, a considerable uptick in people being willing to engage in the political discussions. And, um, and I, I just think that's healthy for our, our overall civic discourse. Now, granted, it's tense, <laughs> and it, it sometimes crosses lines. I'm not on social media, but I, can, I only yeah. hear and I can imagine. And from what I hear, it gets pretty ugly. And that's, that's really unfortunate because that may actually deteriorate the, the value of the expanded discourse, but, but only time will tell. I mean, I, I like to think that we're going through a maturation process. More and more people are becoming engaged and aware the question is, what are we going to do with it? Yeah. Because we can't stay in the stasis. Right. Um, but it's not the first time we've been in situations like this. So I think part of what drives so much of what you talked about, whether we want to call it misinformation or not, is to me it seems like news has now – Brad and I are big sports fans. Yeah. And – about 25 years ago, sports became big business. Yeah. So, like, athletes realized they could make a lot of money. Right. And it changed a lot of the way athletes thought of themselves and made decisions and so on and so forth. Right. And I think part of the problem now is the New York Times knows that – and that was a bad example. So, Well, but it's, it is a good example yeah. in a way. But they know that if they can put the right story out right. that's viewed by 2 million people on Facebook right. – their advertisers are going to be more wanting to advertise with them more. So the money is there. And, right. and I think it's even more so the case with television media because there's an immediate gratification. If you've got to read the article, you know, odds are you're a little bit more invested yeah. than if you're just passively hearing something on television or even radio for that matter. And yeah, I, I think what I'm hearing you say is that 
they're responding to the demand. Yes. Which is driving their, their profits. Yeah. <clears throat> and I, I often think that sometimes, really, that's what's driving the needle. Yeah. I have a couple of friends that work in media. One works for a rather large Fox affiliate in um, Nashville. And he's always, we have a group of friends that I like to pick on the media. And he's like, we simply just give the people what they want. Like we spoon feed them what this is going to do. You know, it's like, if you're going to get mad, don't get mad at me, get mad at what's, what, you know, we're just giving the people what they want. And well, and it's interesting because <clears throat> in some social science research that I'm familiar with, the statistics are overwhelming that people eat up negative information. It works, <laughs> but we also all don't like it. You know, it's yeah. so it's so contradictory. It's almost a schizophrenia of sorts and yeah. about the uh, you know regarding the American political culture. Um, but there's just no question that uh, in campaigns and whatnot that that stuff does actually work. We do consume it. Yeah but we also get disheartened by it because it, it really distracts us from the issues yeah, and resolving the issues. I think one of the things that I always found this last cycle that came through was um, line five. You know, I think pretty much anyone that you talk to, it doesn't matter what side, they don't want oil in the Great Lakes. Right. Like Brad and I have talked about this a lot of times. I have yet to ever meet someone that's like, oh, yeah, that's that's what I want, you know. Yeah. So it's <laughs> a great idea. Yeah. So it's funny how, like, when you really stop and think about it, we all want the same goal. Yeah. But it's just we kind of differ about how we want to go about doing it. And if you can get past the the sort of the the gaps and understanding, what are we talking about? You know, one of the things I like to instill in my students is you're not going to do this in everyday conversation, but just step back for a moment, be clear about what it is you're talking about and make sure that, you know, the people you're having this conversation with are actually speaking the same language <laughs> because, you know, a concept means something to one person perhaps differently than it does to another. And, you know, one of the most basic principles of science is identify your concepts and then define what you mean by that for the purpose of your project, whatever it is, solving some disease or whatever. Because, you know, all too often, especially with the stuff of politics, if we just start having a conversation and nine times out of ten we're talking about totally different things or we're just perpetuating the argument for the sake of the argument, and it does beg the question, you know, is it is it amounting to hell of beans in mm -hmm. the end? Yeah. Um, it's funny how really when you break down a candidate, there's only like really eight main things. I mean, you, you start nitpicking at all, but it's like economic policy and a couple of different other views. Really, just what it, but it really boils down like five or six things and they're all just sub branches of these kind of three or four yeah. main things. So, well... I appreciate that. Brad is not a very much of a political person until we try to keep it. Well, he's silent like me. Like I was silent when you guys were talking about sports. And so I can appreciate. <laughs> I'm always a silent. So he, no matter the subject. Yeah. He, um, you know, we, Brad and I, Brad's like my favorite person I talk about with things because Brad and I definitely have some different views on things, uh -huh. but we're still best friends. And uh -huh. in the end of the day, we both still love each other and listen to each other and all that stuff that goes along yeah. with that. So, um, and I just use it as an example all the time, but that is what it is. So there's hope for America. Well, I mean, yeah, you're right. I guess 
I don't know. There's more of that going on. I think we're just going through a phase. Yeah. Maybe our terrible twos or something. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. But yeah. So um, we'll take a break. But when we come back, I know you're super involved with Thunder Bay Arts Council. Yeah. So I like to talk about that. And then all the, I don't know if a lot of people in our area know all the small little projects that have popped up around our community that you guys have had your hands in. And then I kind of want to be nosy and maybe find out something that's coming in down the pipe. That okay. Yeah. So all right, we'll take a break and we'll come right back. Sounds great. So one of my favorite things, actually, it is my ultimate favorite thing I um, carry with me all the time. And you probably don't know this, but um, I remember we had a discussion in class and we were talking about Alpena 10 years ago in the state it was. And, and you said to us, what if we re- try to rebrand Alpena as a more artistic and cultured area? And that, wow, and that you remember that? That's amazing. And um, I remember sitting in there because we were at that time we were talking about how much of um, you know production and all these yeah. other things were driving for us, you know, like Lafarge right. and all these other places. But really, with the way that technology is advanced, you weren't going to have 500 people working on a plane anymore. And you challenge us to think, really, what could we do? And, of course, a lot of people are talking about tourism because of Traverse City so close. And, of course, that is a neat way to think about Alpena. But I remember you said, what if we we have the opportunity to be something that no one else in Michigan is? And I remember sitting there thinking about – I remember I sat there for, like, five minutes, totally tuned you out. But I was thinking, like, oh, my God. I mean, like, that really could – actually work uh-huh. and to f- fast forward 10 years later and to see all these neat the, the, the amount of culture that really has popped up yeah. in our community yeah it is I, I know just you know i've been here it's going through my 17th year now and when you think about what things have changed just a greater vibrancy here than there was when i first got here and um, I think a lot of people who came about the same time or people who are coming up in age can kind of attest to what, what we're saying here. But yeah, I think you, maybe it sounds like you were at the college about the same time that that lecture series was going on, um, what it takes for small communities to transform themselves and thrive in a 21st century yeah. um, economy. and. I was actually surprised at the people who came here to speak. We had 14 guest speakers over the course of, I think, eight months or something. And the theme that just kept coming up over and over again was the importance of creating a sense of place, a cultural identity for your town or your region that would would draw not just tourists, but um, people in professional capacities of all um, walks of life yeah. form that would want to stay um, because the quality it's not just the quality of life but the the um, sort of aesthetics of life are appealing and um, so anyhow yeah you can see that a number of people and organizations have I think they could hear that message uh, and it wasn't just from the lecture series I think that was a, a big theme for quite some time and it's it, you can feel it and yeah. you can see the, the um, return on that now 10 years is a substantial amount of time to see something like that happen 
Yeah, and there wasn't just one thing, obviously, yeah. like the lecture series. Well, it did play yeah. a part in it. But, I mean, we've had my favorite – one of my favorite pod stories that that's what Brad and I talk about is that we had Mary Beth Stutzman on yeah. um, last season. Yeah. And she talked about how they brought in a special person to kind of – somebody who had no opinion of Alpina right. and drove through it and gave – and then one of the things they said was, why do you have barbed wire on your fairgrounds? So it's like a prison. And, you know – when I heard that, I laughed just because, one, they're 100% right. Yeah. But it never occurred, you know, right. like, growing up here, it was just always that way. And you would just – you yeah, automatically – Yeah. And, it's there. Just, yeah. And it was just amazing to have somebody like that say that. And I was like, that's awesome. Yeah. So I know the Thunder Bay Arts Council, um, you guys own that pocket park or you sponsor that pocket park. Uh, well, actually, that was the MACNA, the Michigan Arts and Culture Northeast, which was <clears throat> a collaborative effort um, of a number of organizations, Arts Council, Art Maloff, the Besser Museum, NOAA, um, and then we expanded out. We had about 30 or so partners, but we just, we, um, at the time, uh, basically took care of that park, but uh, MACNA has since kind of dissolved. Yeah. Uh, we kind of... We kind of served our purpose. You know, we did the Lake Huron Discovery Tour, and that went well for a few years. But all of these things have their shelf life. And, it, again, it's a matter of recreating, constantly recreating. You don't want to do it too much because you don't develop an identity. But but you also don't want to get stuck in a rut and keep doing the same thing over and over and over again because yeah. people stop paying attention, and they don't notice it. They take it for granted. And, and so that's a real challenge. But... But I think we've seen a, a renaissance in a way um, for a little town like this that is really an industrial town um, in a post-industrial world that is, you know, we need all that stuff and we're, we're hanging on and we're, I think, seeing a variety of um, people and organizations, businesses and whatnot um, being very creative and trying to innovate and keep the, the momentum moving forward. Yes. Um I couldn't agree more. I know um, one of the more recent, probably the people, I think it's more of the well-known, is the is it the loons? The birds? Oh, the, um, the uh, blue herons. Blue herons, yeah. yes. Yeah. So I know you guys, I mean, I know that wasn't your most recent project, because I know since then you guys have set up um, some art displays. Yeah, the uh, stone sculptures. Yeah, the stone um, sculptures. Yeah, that, um, that all kind of stemmed, you know, again, just physical art that is durable and you know um it, it's it's there maybe not forever but it's more permanent than a rotating exhibit it's just a way of taking parts of the community that like for example duck park um the main part of duck park down by the island entrance and so forth that's really utilized but there was that little space really tranquil um right across from the hospital there by putting artwork there, you know, it's amazing how many people now pay attention to that and how much traffic you see going through there. I mean, I don't know if there was any connection, but I also thought it was just so interesting. Once the bridge was built and then the, the Blue, Heron, Blue Heron sculpture went in, that um, the organization responsible for the flags during the holidays, they they went down yeah. Chisholm there, uh, north of 23. And um, I had never seen it there. And so the, people just keep building, you know, it, it fosters 
inspiration mm -hmm. and um, and individual organizations kind of get creative in their own rights and add on. And it's just, if you see this constant morphing, mm -hmm. which is really healthy for a little community like this. And I think Alpina's always had this sort of thing, mm -hmm. but there's something fresh and new because it's grounded in arts and uh, expression. And we're not known for that, but we have a long history of it. I mean, the Arts Council is one of the oldest continuous arts councils in the state of Michigan. Hmm. You know, one could say, well, maybe arts councils went out of fashion. <laughs> but, um, but the fact that a little community like this has been able to stay in there with the, the thick of them and um, new organizations like Art and the Loft that emerged um, and, and others, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. I know that the Blue Herons, I heard a story that um, there was a lady that was going through treatment at the hospital. And every day when she would do her treatment, she would sit there and then she would watch to look out the window and just kind of watch that area and just try to relax as much as she could when she was going through all that. And I thought, we'll talk about something that was totally an unexpected benefit of something like yeah. when you build something like that, that you guys did, you probably never envisioned that you'd be touching someone in that way. No, I mean, the, the location was... You know, we it was high visibility, and for the first sculpture that we were putting up, it's kind of like, um, you know, the the mural in the pocket park that Art and Loft put up. You know, you want to you want to focus on those high volume um, areas so that you you get the impact because people will um, run with that. And I mean, there are a number of examples of other organizations that are doing things. Um, as a consequence, but yeah, those those types of that's what I meant earlier. It enriches the quality of life um, by adding aesthetic value. Right. So we get a lot of really good compliments about about that particular piece. Yeah. And again, it has to do with where it's located, and just like the bridge. I mean, when that covered bridge went up, that was just incredible. I mean, what what I mean, we already know that was a beautiful area, but to take something which is unnatural and put it in a place and make it feel so appropriate for that spot, it really just, I think, brought that entrance to our community, to a, which is really the core of our community, that whole sanctuary area. It just elevated it. Yeah, it's a classical um, status. <laughs> it's crazy when you think about that bridge area, how it looked before. Yeah, I mean, it was just a pretty much a cement. Right. block with a couple of you know, metal gates across. Um, Allison and I had our, one of our engagement pictures there, uh -huh. and I always look, when I look at it, I chuckle just because it doesn't look anything like it does now. And that right. you know, I think of all the people um, that take pictures down there, that bridge, yeah. and do all sorts of. Um, you know, my best friend Matt, who's a good friend with Brad too, he takes his sons, his boys fishing down there. You know, a couple times a week during the summer, so it really, like you said, has become a hub for a community. Yeah. All right. Well, is there anything you guys got on the horizon that you're trying to do? or? Well, I think the Arts Council will continue to do what it's been doing, um, and that is finding what the community needs at the same time maintaining a standard of um, what do you, like service, bringing arts, particularly performing arts, 
but also, you know, filling in in the visual arts um, so that we're filling the needs or meeting the needs of the community. And, you know, some organizations have taken certain projects and run with them and they've done a great job at it. And we kind of shift away from that and try to find something new and fill that void. I think our biggest challenge right now is um, trying to meet the interests of a broad demographic and you know the biggest challenge right now is you can we've got a lot of older people that are legacies of the history of the arts council who are totally engaged and then we have a tremendous outreach to youth but i think the biggest challenge is reaching that age group in the 20s 30s and 40s because these people are really busy they're not necessarily interested in the arts and um or maybe the higher arts, if you will, um, more formal arts. And and I think in a small community where you're dealing with limited resources, the challenge is how do you keep the organization alive because of what it does bring, but get the organization to transition in a way that meets that generational generation's interests. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we're the only organization dealing with this, but, but um, I do think that it, it poses a huge challenge. I mean, the radio stations have done a great job. You know, the whole concert series that we have at the Aplex mm-hmm. and whatnot, that definitely is filling a void that I think Arts Council hasn't had to do. Um, but now the question is, okay, what can we do to continue to provide um, our mission mm-hmm. um, to the community, but still shift enough to meet the, the expectations, especially as generations are moving forward in time. Um, it's a big challenge. Yeah. I was just this last weekend, I was at the Business Expo, mm-hmm. and they have that exact problem that you're talking yeah. about. The demographic that comes there is an older demographic. Yeah. And that is not to say that they don't spend money and that they're not doing all the things that... They're an important demographic. Yes. But the age group that of people my age, Brad's age and younger, 20, they're all out either fishing on the lake or they were out doing just, right. they weren't there, period. And I had a conversation with one of the organizers there of trying, they came up to me because we run a fundraiser, you know, a fundraiser, and that's who I get to show up. And they were always like, how do you get those people to show up? Yeah. And I told them, like, I really don't know. I haven't quite figured it out how I do that yet. I go, because I wish I could, because if I could bottle it, I would, because there's so many, just like you said, and things like that. And for this situation, I was trying to figure out whether you, if you gave something away or did this or this, it it still really wouldn't have pulled them in because, I mean, unless you were going to do something just totally outrageous where that would just bring people from all over, you know, across the state over, um, you're still not going to necessarily motivate them to say, okay, we're going to, set our Saturday afternoon aside for this and then go to this. So, yeah, it's, you know, because there are so many other things, not only in this community, but things outside this community that pull people away. So you're competing with all that, which is probably a good thing. I mean, competition is good, right? But we also, we're dealing with such a small population that I think for these organizations to be able to survive, um, not just from interest, but the resources that it takes to provide this stuff. You've really got to get creative. And and I think a lot of it will have to do with time because as we see these people get older, um, that they may 
influence what these organizations provide, but but there's a conceptual gap there um, that I think really causes us to pause and think. And I guess what I'm getting at here is the Arts Council is going through a tremendous effort right now to really think about how to keep the organization and what it provides very fresh and mm-hmm. appealing to such a cross, a cross section of demographics. Mm-hmm. Because there is a, <clears throat> I can totally appreciate what you're saying because you, the legacy that's been established, um, you certainly don't want to disrespect in any way, shape or form, but there is a certain amount of energy that's out there and you want to capture that. Yeah. yeah. So. And encourage other organizations to help in that cause. And, you know, there's been a lot of collaboration. I mentioned earlier the Michigan Arts and Culture Northeast we dissolved because what we realized is that we served our purpose and we, we got organizations invigorated. I mean, when you look at what's going on at the theater, and, and not that we caused that, but I think just the inertia of organizations cooperating, we raised the level of consciousness about the value of arts and now there's a whole new plateau and i think that while we'll continue to interact with one another we didn't need to do it in such a formal fashion because everybody the momentum was taking everyone to the next level as well as the community and and i think now the collaboration that we're seeing is these organizations just independently working with one another because we have a whole new it's like there's a whole new plateau of opportunity for for the interaction mm-hmm. in, in, the art, in the arts and there's an expectation i think an increasing expectation in this community that this is part of our economic and community development i, I agree i think that we are really truly embracing part of that identity and i mean i think there will always be part of us that is a manufacturing community yeah. that's in our blood right. you know but um yeah, it's it's been exciting to see. We've had Jeff from the theater on our pod here. Mm-hmm. I'm good friends with Justin Christian Cooper, yeah. so um, in fact, I'm sure he's texted me three times because <laughs> I hear my phone buzzing <laughs> in my pocket. So, um, but yeah, so it's it really is kind of crazy. But I wanted you to tell you that that conversation that we had 10, 12 years ago has awesome. st- stuck with me because awesome. um, it really and who knows who else? I know I wasn't the only one in that class. Uh, but who knows who else you touch with that message that you shared well, that day. So. It shows the value of conversation, too. Yeah. I mean, that was a formal conversation in an academic setting, but but it was really a conversation. I'm, I'm actually kind of recalling this. <laughs> and it was around that lecture series, and we were just trying to foster this discussion. And it's it, these types of conversations translate yeah. into outcomes. Awesome. Brad, you got anything? No. You go to Thunder Bay Theater now? I do. You've become more cultured in the past three or four years? I have. thought about buying a season pass for the theater. Oh, cool. You should get two for you and your girlfriend. you got to find that girlfriend. Well, that's, <laughs> but I mean, maybe if you did that, then you would be like, well, I need so to. peddling it on? Well, I'm just trying to help you out. So, so sports, politics, and art. Yeah. Quite in a room. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't really. Brad, politics is definitely on the bottom of Brad's list. Well, and I was on the out list for the sports. <laughs> yeah. So. But, um, <laughs> yeah. So, well, we're going to take a break again and we'll come back. We're going to talk about our top five places to visit. So, we'll do that. Great.
right, we're going to move on to our top five. It's the top five places we like to visit. And I don't travel much, but I do get out once in a while. So my number five is South Dakota and the Badlands and Mount Rushmore, which I went to last year. I've always wanted to go there. I was super jealous when you made that trip. It was, it was a good trip. It was a long weekend, but the Badlands were just absolutely beautiful. Yes. It was nature, and it's amazing what our Earth can do with because those rocks are up and down, and it's just it's crazy. Yeah, we're checking out, and that's how I feel about my number five spot. Um, I enjoy going to visit my sister, and when we go down, we always go through Virginia, West Virginia, and we get into the Appalachian Mountains, and there's just something about driving through there. That I just every time I just and you try to take a picture of it and it just doesn't do it any type of justice whatsoever. But you just you look at it on your phone and you just delete it because you yeah. just like it, it's no way it can just it's so majestic. So that's my five. It is a beautiful country and there are so many different facets to it. Um, you know, I my fat passion for history takes me to Europe. I yeah. I just got back from a tour of. Um, France and Belgium over Christmas break, and it was pretty incredible. Not only to to sort of reconnect with some of the history, I got to go to Normandy and see the D-Day invasion beaches, and and to um, Flanders Fields in northern Belgium, where World War One fame. And since this is the hundredth anniversary of the end of the war, it was really moving for me. But there's just something about. Um, especially teaching this stuff, being able to go there and see these places that we, we talk about and bring it back to life and bring the connections back. Um, I've just been so f fortunate to have those experiences. But, you know, you get the same feel traveling domestically uh, because, you know, to go visit a, a Civil War battlefield or, like you say, driving through some of these, the countryside, um, it just it brings a lot of things to life that if you're paying attention, you can begin to appreciate a lot more. Yeah. Um, my wife has gone to Europe multiple times, and I'm always jealous because we'll watch just something, and she'll be like, oh, my God, I've been there. And I'm always like, oh, my God, I can't believe you've been there. But um, it's just really, you know, she's really enjoyed the time there, and I know it's something that we're trying to figure out a way to – Somehow, me go there with her and still have a new experience. And I don't know, it's crazy. I know what you're talking about with the Badlands, though, because I had never been west of St. Louis until like 2004. Um, and I never thought I would really like it, but I went with my dad on a road trip out to California to see my brother. And I was blown away at what it did to me almost spiritually, in a way, because you just the, the expanse of space and the majesty of those parks. It's incredible. Um, and I don't, unless you've been out there, uh, and I'm not sort of an outdoorsy type to begin with, but I just totally soaked that up. And it was fun just doing it on a shoestring with a tent and the trunk and going to places like Lake Tahoe. And it, you just, I mean, it's so much like here in many respects, but just that open space it's amazing what this country's terrain has to offer it is nuts all right my number four is marquette in the up really yeah. mm -hmm. i've only i've been there 
twice probably, but the last time I went and ran a half marathon, it was probably the most scenic half marathon I ran because you ran through downtown and you got to see the big forward dock that isn't in use anymore and then power plant or whatever, but then you go and run on Presqu'ile, which was really nice. So, yeah, I'd go back to Marquette. So. Uh, number four to travel would probably have to be, I mean, I've gone a couple times, so I'll say I really enjoy going to Dallas, Texas a lot. So I don't know if it's as much as Dallas, but I really enjoy Fort Worth. So um, there's just something about, like Tim said, I think when you can go visit a place that has some history and kind of like, I don't know, whether it was visiting the stockyards and kind of watching them bring the, the cattle in or going up to the the school depository and then you're just having the, I mean, I'm sure you've experienced this with all the different places and all the history, you know, the gravity of that, of that spot. It kind of hits you sometimes almost overwhelms you. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. And, um, but yeah, I, in fact, you know, Al, it helped that Alice's mom lived in Dallas for that. But even now we're like trying to figure out how to go back, even though she's not even there anymore. So that's wrong. No. Number four, Tim. So if I could go anywhere right now, I'd go to Munich. Really? Um, yeah. It's um, Bavaria is my ancestral homeland, if you will. Um, my last name, the origin of that family, and my mom's um, uh, um, family, Kohler. Um, they all come from that region. And there's just a, you know, we were talking about this cosmopolitan sort of artsy vibe. Um, Munich is a really young, vibrant, artistic city. It doesn't feel like a city. It feels like a large village. Hmm. And it's Bavaria is the largest state in Germany, and it is really beautiful. It's comparable to the beauty that we associate with Michigan, I'd say. Okay. So it, might, it would be my second home <laughs> if I could. Nice. I'd Used to live in Germany. My dad was in the army. So oh, really? We were stationed over there for a while. I was actually born there, so, so I'd like to go back. About. Uh, I was a little younger. Yeah, like <laughs> kindergarten through oh, second grade okay. when I was okay. really there. But I'd like to go back there. Yeah, and really see everything again. Was, I know we one time we went and visited the where the where Sound of Music was filmed. Oh yeah, Salzburg. Yeah, so we were in that area, so uh-huh. I'd like to go back and see that. Yeah. Tour, but that would be nice. So, nice. Yeah. so number three for me would be Las Vegas. I don't know what it is about that town. But I just I always want to go back, and I think it's just the people watching that really gets. It's me. not the gambling. No, I'm not a big game. <laughs> I mean, I'll sit down at a slot machine or something. Yeah, and but it's put not twenty dollars. No, no, it's. I think it's the buildings and mm-hmm. all the architecture and stuff like that. But, Hmm. The people watching, yeah. People watching is just so fun. There, yeah. so. That, I've never been to Vegas, as you know. I don't know if I'll ever come back. You <laughs> anyways. Um, so you, I've never been to my number three place, and it just recently kind of came on. Um, just I don't know what happened, but just over these past three or four years, I've really wanted to go visit. Um, like Brad just said, really wanted to go visit Korea, mm-hmm. just because I mean I'm from there and. Um, I know what orphanage I'm from, but that, other than that, it'd just be neat to see where I was from. And um, Allison thinks I should totally do it. I mean, she would obviously come along, but, but we could just document the whole thing. Is this South Korea? Yeah, South Korea. Okay. I was born in an orphanage or, or 
I was in an orphanage in Seoul, Korea. So, and we have it. It's right there on my adoption papers, right where I was from and everything. So, yeah, I was adopted. I was born May 5th, and then I came to the United States on September 20th. So I was only four months old when I came here, and that's what I've known ever since. So, But, yeah, it's really, and it seems like as more as time has progressed, you know, that may have been, like, last, and now it's all the way up to, like, I really would like to do it, but, I mean, I'd also like to backpack from Italy all the way up to <laughs> Ireland, but I don't know if that's ever going <laughs> to Take a long time. I mean, you can do it on train. I mean, yeah. You can really – I've kind of figured it out. We loosely figure it out. If you – you know, you can't, like, spend days at these places. That's the whole problem. Yeah. You have to kind of just hang out for a day and then – Sleep on the train and on the way. Like going from northern Michigan to southern Kentucky or something. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, it would just be, uh, yeah, it's amazing how small, for lack of a better term, Europe is. It yeah. feels bigger than it really is. But, um, yeah, it's just something we always talked about. Maybe just landing in somewhere in Italy and then trying to figure out to train all the way up to France and then hop across the pond and go over to England and then fly home. Chum. I mean, whatever. I'd either hop or under. I'm not, uh, beggars aren't choosers. Just get me over there. So. Sleep under the, in the shuttle. What do you think of Brexit, Tim? Oh my God! I just gave a presentation on that uh, really last week. Um, well, I it's tragic in a way in my mind. It would be like Texas leaving the U.S. Yes. And I know it's really intriguing, and some people would love to see it happen. But <laughs> the reality of this is pretty stark and. The British will probably be the ones that pay the price for it. The European Union is the second largest. If you think of the EU as a country, it's the second largest economy in the world. It surpasses China. And it's the, you know, they've got 500 million people. We only have 320 million. So that makes it the third largest nation in population. It's a force to contend with, which is probably why it's being attacked so much from the U.S. right now. Um, You know, but these are our allies, and if their prosperity doesn't continue, uh, that's a scary world because we've been there and done that and it wasn't pretty. <laughs> and we spent a lot of money to yeah. make sure we got out of that mess. Where do we want this to go now? I, I, And the British, for the most part, it was a 52% vote to remove. But no one had a clue as to what was really involved. The yeah. details were not laid out. And that reality is starting to hit home. And as you probably know, it's pretty ugly. Yeah. We Did you listen to Jay's pod, pod this week? And the three questions? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so he had somebody from Britain on there. Oh, uh-huh. and just a, a friend, a, a podcast, not a friend. Uh-huh. His podcast, yeah, a friend on there. And I wish he was a friend. But anyways... Um, he was this person's from Brendan who's talking about Brexit and he was very against it. Very much very so. Against. Most of them, especially younger professionals, are against it. Yeah. And he said the reason that it failed, the only reason that it happened or they were able to succeed in Poland is because it was poor marketing. Mm-hmm. And he said that I forgot how they worded it, but you were either for with, oh. like you were either going to do, like say hey we're going to unite Britain and stay and uh-huh. like and then or we're going to stay with the union and become weak or something like that and he said if you could have just simply changed the word yeah. instead of from 
it was like stay or leave and he wanted to say unite. Those yeah. Iron British, you'd think they'd know how to get the English language. <laughs> yeah. Really <laughs> and he's, yeah, stay, stay or unite. He said, if you just would have said instead of staying, use the word unite. Yeah. He goes, I, they would have 100% just passed, but instead it became staying and it had, took on this negative connotation. And um, it's just amazing how, oh, all right, that was a big tangent, <laughs> but it was, felt really good. So. <laughs> I mean, how many people on the pod have been able to talk about yeah. Brexit with? It's very small, I can tell you. So, all right. Do we get your number three? No. Uh, I'll just, Florence. Oh. Um, you were talking of Italy, the artwork, the history, the Medici. I mean, it's it's incredible. Um, yeah. I'm picking all these foreign places, but. That's okay. We're, I have a list of domestic places, but those Trump. As they should, I would think. Because of what I do. Yeah. All right. My number two is Ann Arbor. I just, I love it down there for some reason. It's probably because my brother's down there, but it's just, it's a a beautiful city, actually. Mm -hmm. It's a bigger place, but it just, it seems like a smaller town. It's not a huge city. Yeah. Yeah. It's just something about Ann Arbor that I love. I think it's the lack of skyscrapers. Yeah. Where it doesn't give you, because Ann Arbor is a big area, but it's all very one, two story ish, and so it doesn't feel as like when you get into Detroit and you're just. They preserve their downtown pretty well. Yeah. It's merged with the university. Yeah. Yeah. There's a vibrancy there. Number two for me is New York State. And every time we see something, we always outside look at each other, so let's go back. We've already been twice, and. I mean, as much as we want to go visit Italy and Seattle and all these other places, we're still trying to figure out, like, well, maybe we can squeeze a New York trip in for a weekend because... I got an idea. So. Oh, hey, I like it. So, all right. I'll tell you later. Yeah, no problem. But, yeah, so I just, we love that place. And we certainly we want to live there because, yeah. as you said, it's like, like Vegas. How is this for you? I could just sit there on a, in Central Park and just watch people go by all day, you know, and... um but it really is just overwhelming, and then it's just always go. We, I remember we when we went there, we we got there at seven o'clock in the morning. So we pulled in New York at seven o'clock in the morning, and then dropped off our bags. And we were walking around New York at seven o'clock in the morning because we couldn't get to the hotel yet. And it was so busy at seven o'clock. It was all everybody's just trying to get to work. So then when we finally got into the room at like three. And as soon as we got there, we just collapsed. But I remember waking up at it's like midnight or 11 o'clock. And then you hear it's the city and never sleeps. So I'm like, oh, all right, let's go test it out. And I remember getting up and going right out. And I was like, holy cow, it is just as many, if not more people at midnight as there was. It's just, it's just absolutely crazy. That, like you said, it's just, just something going on all the time. Yeah. So that's my number two. I would say Athens, Greece. Oh my God, it's um, amazing. The ancient history, um, you know, the model of democracy, so to speak, although they had huge flaws because, of course, they justified slavery and only, <laughs> only Athenian men could vote and everyone else was enslaved to them and all this. But it's the model of true democracy because they made all the decisions. They did not elect representatives. And so anyhow... Um, that I just find fascinating. Plus, I'd love to actually just be able to wear a toga and walk around and 
pretend like I'm back in the, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in your sandals. Yeah, and, right. Yeah. Um, I had just recently had a friend last year go through the Mediterranean area, and um, he would just post some unreal pictures, like postcard stuff. And I was like, that can't be real, but he would post the picture and then he would post like a picture of him, like laying down, having a cocktail somewhere with it behind him. And I'm like, Oh, that's something like that. that's a real thing. He's really doing it. It's just nuts. Yeah. How it's just so scenic through there. All right. My number one is Mackinac Island. Uh, you can get past the smell of horse poop. Yeah. That's it's, part of the experience. Though. It is. But it's, that's rated like one of the top 10 places yeah. in this country and many, you know, travel itineraries. It's kind of interesting to know that that's so up there for foreign people coming yeah. here. I never really realized it until, um, as Brad knows, we have some friends that um, Allison's twin brother has teaches in Kansas mm-hmm. and he made some friends and they can't want him to come to Michigan. Cause we talk about Michigan all the time. Mm-hmm. And, when they got to Alpena, they like, we got to go to Mackinac. I mean, like, it's just, it was like, you know, it's like seeing the Empire State Building. If you go to New York City, it's like, if you're in Michigan, we got to go to Mackinac. And it just, I guess it, it really hit me. And then like, okay, I get it. it. I mean, for us, you know, it's like, I guess we got to go to Mackinac. Let's go for the day. Can we please catch the ferry by six o'clock? So we don't have to, you know, like, but yeah, you're right. It's kind of like going back in time. Just, you know, have any cars up there except for emergency vehicles and just horse and buggy and people walking and riding bikes it's just it's a weird it's an awesome place we took on the tandem bike last time Allison and I and we went all the way around the island oh good for you I don't know if we perimeter or did you go through the middle no we went all the way around the thing and let me tell you something I don't know if we'll ever do it again (laughs) it's only eight miles I know, went on a bicycle for two and the first time, <laughs> and then getting it started and the whole thing, and then I had my giant camera bag. So, of course, as you know, like, that bag, it's, like, right in Allison's face. She couldn't see around me or the bag. She was, like, and the bag is, like, sitting on her hands. And it just, oh, yeah. And we were, it was hot and humid, as Mac and I could be sometimes. So, and then, of course, the smell. And oh, I just, like, oh, my Have you ever been up there on the fish flies there? Actually? Yes. Oh, gosh. Crossing the bridge well, is up out of this world experience when those flies are hatching because yeah. all the seagulls are on, on the bridge eating the flies and it's just like you're going through and birds are just flying and it's okay enough my number one place is kind of similar to yours it's detroit and i love detroit i always have it's near and dear to my heart and i mean as much as i love new york and all these other cities I just love being in Detroit. Oh my gosh, that's so interesting. It's just something about the place. And it helps that my parents were divorced and I grew up, you know, when I would visit my dad's, he would take me to downtown Detroit with him. So there's my childhood there in a way, in like an indirect way. So it's romanticized for me. Yeah, and it's definitely got a rich history. I mean, it was the Chicago of Michigan, right? Yeah. With a deeper history than Chicago. But yeah, what an amazing story that is. So did you live down there for a while? Yeah, I would spend my summers in Detroit oh. and then my school years up in Alpena because my oh. parents are split. Oh, so I see. I see. And they didn't want me going to school in Detroit. I was robbed because now I realize that I didn't spend any summers in Michigan growing up. Right? Now I realize that. No, you know, water. I would just sit and, I mean, we played a lot of stickball. But, yeah. Um, you know, my dad started in the Southfield. 
he worked for Turner Construction Company. And they started out small. It was like Giffels, and then they got bought up by Turner. And then he he was actually my dad was an estimator, so he would bid out these things. And he was very it was a very stressful job. But long story short, my dad did the remodel on Tiger Stadium. Hmm. He bid oh, wow. he bidded that out. So after he did that, and then life got a little bit better for him, and we moved to West Bloomfield and hmm. spent a lot of time out there in the suburbs, nothing like Southfield. Yeah. So yeah. I can't wait to hear your number one spot. My number one spot? Well, I'm torn because, well, I don't know if I put these in the right order to begin with. Because <laughs> I think my I think I went backwards in a way. <laughs> but um, um, I have, part of me would be drawn back to Rome. Um, I'm not Catholic, but I was probably from, the distance between us to the Pope, John Paul II. Oh, wow. It was the most one of the most powerful experiences. Um, and being at the Vatican and then just the, the Roman history, the, the secular history, all of that combined in one place was pretty incredible. And I'm, as you can tell, I'm drawn to the historic relics, um, architecture and all that. But I'm torn because have you ever been to Big Sur, California? Mm-hmm. It is the most tranquil um, place. It's along the coast there. Um, just really undeveloped, um, beautiful Highway 1, Coastal Highway 1. Um, just I could just be there forever and in solitude. <laughs> it's interesting you said that. So I'm going to tell my listeners this, or our listeners this, but because Allison doesn't listen, but I'm right now, I've been trying to buy tickets to Ellen because Allison loves Ellen. Oh. And the minute we get in them, we're going. Yeah. So, like, because we have flight miles. Uh-huh. We have so many miles, we don't know what to do with the miles. So every two weeks, I have reapply for these tickets for Ellen. Mm-hmm. And eventually it's going to hit. And whenever it hits, we're going to go out there. And then all we really want to do is we're just going to go to L.A., you know, we will see her studio, Burbank. We'll spend one day there, but then we're just going to probably up travel up the coast and then fly back home. You'll never regret it. <laughs> I mean, to see the, the you feel like you're on a continent. You are, obviously, <laughs> looking off the edge into the Pacific Ocean. The only thing that's comparable is the, the, the coast of Ireland. And But this is our country, and it's just such a, again, getting back to the West, it's it's the end point of that huge space of just natural beauty. You don't need the architecture. You don't need the history. Yeah. Although it's got some of the history, obviously. But it's just, I, I guess if I could just, it soothes my soul to even think about it. <laughs> it's amazing. Unlike Rome, which has one of the highest decibels of any city um, because of the little mopeds that are running around. Oh, really? It's horrible. Your head's buzzing from that noise. <laughs> I've heard Rome and Paris are really high for like theft and pocket, you know, mm. pocket picking and stuff like mm. that. But just because it's same with New York, any of these touristy areas, yeah. you know, because everyone's busy looking up and going, "Oh my gosh, I'm not looking at what's going on." Yeah. So my aunt and uncle went to Rome one time, and he had his camera around his neck, and they're on a bus. The next thing you know, the camera was gone. Wow, fortunately, I've never had anything like that happen. They lost all their pictures of Rome. That stinks. Wow. Wow. 
Well, thank you very much thank you. for that top five. Uh, we'll wrap it up. We'll come back. We'll close it out. Sure.